Talk Radio 191 FM podcast. Right now with Professor Lisa Madison Smith, uh, Professor of Biology, uh, Biological Anthropology uh, and Head of Department of uh, Autonomy. Morena to you. Morena. How are we today? Very good, thanks. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Right, you're giving a talk uh, called The Power and Pitfalls of Ancient DNA, What DNA Can and Can't Tell Us About Human Migration. Um, well, I guess the first the first studies of ancient DNA were in the mid-80s, um, you know. If yep, the, late 80s. Late 80s, yep. what they were doing in Berkeley uh, and the University of California. That's correct. Um, but it's only been really in the last 10 years where technology has become cheaper. Uh, and, and I guess with that means more people are studying uh, the HDNA um, and you're getting some real insights into human migrations that you may not have had beforehand. That is correct. So the new technology um, is not only resulting in cheaper DNA analysis for both modern DNA and ancient DNA, um, which is why all of these companies that provide your DNA analysis yeah, and everything, yeah. you know, you can you can get all, get a DNA assessment for 100 bucks, yeah, yeah, 200 yeah. bucks. Um, that's all because of this new technology. But more importantly for ancient DNA, the whole, the way that the technology works actually works in favor of ancient DNA because ancient DNA as soon as a, a person dies, an organism dies, um, their enzymes in the body and in the ground and so forth that start breaking down the DNA. Yeah. And so it breaks it into little tiny fragments. And the new technology that was really developed in about 2008, it's sometimes referred to as next generation sequencing or second generation sequencing technology, um, sequencing by synthesis, it's um, it it favors short short molecules, so um, it uses the sequencing of short molecules. So, it, so if you have modern DNA, you break up the DNA into smaller pieces, and then it gets sequenced. So, it, it really means that we can obtain DNA um, information from samples that, in the past, using traditional PCR technology, the fragments were too small to even amplify or, yeah. or sequence. So, um, so it, it means that we can, it, and it also amplifies every molecule um, in a in a, an extract of, of DNA. So we can start to see, for example, if there are indicators of contamination, which has always been a major problem for ancient DNA yeah. studies, because we leave DNA all over everything we touch. So the archaeologists who <laughs> excavate the material are leaving their DNA on it, the people who've studied it in museums, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we can, it, it allows us to identify and and kind of, in a sense, pull out contamination. It allows us to see the damage that has occurred in the DNA, which is c consistent often with age or environmental context. So, the you know the, the new technology is is allowing all kinds of you know more modern DNA from people around the world to compare, yeah. you know, to which helps us understand migration patterns, but also um, allows us access to. DNA samples that are older and older. So, you know, people have been able to get DNA out of samples that were, um, I think, about 700,000 years old is the oldest at this point, which is some horse DNA, ancient DNA. But, you know, it means we get, get the DNA of of ancestral populations, and then we can compare those to the DNA of modern populations around the world, and that helps us understand that process of of population expansion and migration and and the impacts of, you know, 
um, things like disease or mm. um, major population changes, because we can also even sequence now those disease organis- disease-causing organisms, so mycobacterium tuberculosis or or the plague. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, we can sequence those things and and really understand much more about the history of humans. Um, don't do anything with the plague. Don't bring it back. <laughs> we'll try not. Uh, yeah. I mean, how does DNA even last that long? I mean, what are you actually looking at when you're saying you're looking at ancient DNA? Um, how does DNA last that long? It is. It is protected. Um, for example, in teeth, the enamel is very hard, so the mm-hmm. DNA inside of a tooth is is protected from the environment. Um, they have found that uh, the petrous portion of the temporal bone, which is the chunky bit of bone, if you reach back behind your ear, and that goes kind of inside your head and contains mm-hmm. the, the bones of, of the inner ear, um, that is a super dense um, piece of bone. And they found that that petrous portion preserves the DNA really, really well. So I just this morning um, delivered some samples to the ancient DNA lab that we've got from the Mediterranean. And um, we've got teeth and, and bone samples. So it's, um, you know, and it's a bit of hit and miss. There's nothing you can see by necessarily looking at a bone or a tooth to say, oh, yeah, there's DNA in it. Um, Sometimes, you know, you can look at a bone and if it's really degraded, you know, you wouldn't even really try. But sometimes it looks like you have a perfect bone that may not even be that old, but there's no DNA in it because of, you know, it was in wet conditions or the temperature fluctuation, which affects the DNA degradation. So samples sadly in the Pacific that are from warm and wet conditions are not good for ancient DNA. So the the really old stuff that they've been sequencing from Neanderthal and Denisovan and all of these these kind of archaic um, hominins are usually from um, you know cave sites, cool cave sites in in, um, northern Europe that are cold and dry. I recently watched a documentary on uh, it was PBS documentary because I love PBS. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, and it was from a site in um, Central America, mm-hmm. and they were tracing uh, this girl's lineage back to the the land crossing. Uh, uh, this was the one that was found under the underwater, or was it? Or is yes, it yes, oh, yes. Okay. The yeah, 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 I saw that one. Too. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And I, you know, like you said, the wet conditions. But I guess. Um, by the time she was underwater, yep. things had already kind of set. Yeah, so anaerobic conditions can be very, very good, but for preservation, I mean, that's an unusual situation. And, and I can't remember, I started watching the, the documentary. Did they actually get DNA from her sample? Um, yeah, I can't yeah. remember. But, but yeah, so, I mean, it, you know, the conditions of preservation... We can make some predictions sometimes for for how well uh, DNA is likely to be preserved, Mm -hmm. but um, we're always getting surprises. You can, you know, process a whole bunch of samples from a site or even different samples of a single bone or tooth, and one sample will give you good DNA and another won't. So um, it's a lot of uh, expensive trial and error, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then, you know, you you, um, might get one out of... 100, 1 out of 50, it depends on the site yeah. um, and the age of the site. But. Um, in in, in the, uh, the byline of uh, the title of the talk, uh, it says that the new data has challenged a number of assumptions about past migrations. What are some of those, uh, what are some of those big assumptions that the new data has kind of has washed? 
You know, I think because so much of the ancient DNA results that we've been getting in the last few years have come from Europe, um, that's where where it's really, um, you know, challenged some of the ideas, particularly about um, the Neolithic expansion, you know, so agriculture develops in the Near East and the, the Fertile Crescent area and, yeah, yeah. and you know, people having um, domesticated plants and animals leads to uh, population increase because you've got a reliable, you know, food source. Um, and so the idea used to be based just on kind of linguistic evidence and modern genetic um, evidence that that the idea of of agriculture, um, domestication spread, you know, um, across the landscape as, as, you know, farmers and their neighbors who are hunter-gatherers kind of see the farmers doing yeah. what they're doing. You know? <laughs> um, and, so, and so that idea spread very quickly. So what we've actually found from the ancient DNA is that in, in Europe or in parts of Europe, you're getting um, almost you know, what looks like a replacement of populations as these agriculturalists are, are moving from either the, the Fertile Crescent area or the, the um, Pontic Steppes is one of the other areas, kind of more north and moving into northern Europe from um, Anatolia, moving along the, the coast of the Mediterranean. Um, and populations are, um, are, are, in a sense, kind of being replaced. So if you look at the very old um, hunter-gatherer Mesolithic populations, you see a certain genetic signature. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, a, f a few thousand years later, you see a completely different um, signature. And then you can see kind of a comeback of the, the Mesolithic lineages. And so you're getting those population dynamics. Um, and that, in a, in a sense, has, has changed um, our understanding of how agriculture spread um, across Europe. Uh, we, and so we can also start to see, you know, um, some of the physical characteristics of the phenotypic um, data when we get whole genome data from ancient samples. And so, you know, Cheddar Man, a lot of people heard about the Cheddar mm -hmm. Man DNA, yeah, yeah. you know, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we, you know, had dark skin and blue eyes. And that's challenging, you know, many Britons' ideas about, you know, the, the makeup and the genetic history um, of population. So, you know, it's changing lots of ideas. And and I mean that's the way that science progresses. Um, yeah, it's yeah, self-correcting, and and the data that we have at the time. Um, but we always have to think about, you know, what is it that the samples that we have um, represent? And and very often they're just tiny numbers of samples. So you have to, you know, make sure that the samples that you're analyzing, you know where they come from, you know your your you know the the context of them is secure, um, and you have to think about how well a, a handful of samples. You yeah. know, from a handful of individuals are going to represent, you know, a population. Mm, um, mm. And how do you even define that population? And, you know, uh, somebody's culture and somebody's genetics don't always go hand in hand, you yeah. know. Um, ideas spread, you know. We always say the language of love is universal and people, <laughs> you know, interact with one another. Um, interact is a nice way of, you know, <laughs> sharing their genes yeah, 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 um, yeah. and spreading their genes. So, you know, so it's always, we have to be very, very careful about the context and understanding the archaeological context, the cultural context. Um, and some of the, there's been a lot of debate and criticism within the field because many of the geneticists um, don't 
aren't necessarily working closely with the archaeologists, so they're making kind of sweeping um, suggestions about rewriting the prehistory without really engaging um, with those really important questions that are and information that's necessary to interpret um, your ancient DNA results. And so, you know, as ancient DNA data accumulate, then it's like, oh, maybe it wasn't quite the replacement that we thought. And oh, gosh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe there was more diversity than our first couple of, you know, samples that we processed from that site suggested. So, you know, it's, um, I think we just have to be wary. And, and really, this is the time that it's so important that we have um, multidisciplinary studies and people who are really talking to one another um, about different sites and it's you know it's not like oh DNA is the latest science and so that's going to trump the old science mm -hmm. of archaeology or linguistics yeah. or cultural anthropology and this is it's really important that we that we have these um, you know much more engaged discussions about what DNA means what the DNA data mean and what they don't mean because I mean you could easily find a DNA sample and say make an assumption about where this person kind of came from and what they were doing but then you could find maybe a certain type of tool mm. that that person that that civilization didn't have right and, and then so they that could lead to signs of mixing with other people from other areas you know I always say just think about what's happening today with people and if you look at our material culture and the languages that we're speaking and the locations that we're living you know it's complex yeah. and so you know, science is always trying to simplify things to the to mod simple. Well, models. you would assume you you would automatically assume that ancient humans it would be simplified, but it's not. No, no, and we know that you know, as I say, when we talk about global migrations, populations have been migrating. You know, I mean, just just last week we had a new a new publication about you know modern humans in Europe two hundred thousand years ago. So you know, we've got a an incredible history of of people moving around and. You know, and I think, what do, what do people do today? Why do people migrate today? People are are, are always looking for better opportunities, whether mm. it's economic opportunities, whether it's social opportunity, you know. Why do people move today? And that's that's why people, the same kinds of reasons that people would have moved in the past, whether there was, you know, warfare or, pre you know, pressure in their their the place that they were living, where they felt endangered, or maybe they just thought they'd have better opportunities for their kids, you know. People are people, are people and we yeah. have been this way for hundreds of, of thousands of years. <laughs> and in the long term, and something that's actually going to be quite in the short term for us, climate. Exactly. Well, and we see that climate was a major driver of, of migration and of... Um, of stagnation, of, of populations being pushed into what we call refugia for thousands of years where they're isolated from other populations and new mutations arise and then, you know, and then the climate changes again and, and they move out and start interacting again. So mm. again, we can start to see these kinds of um, patterns with ancient DNA, which is pretty, pretty exciting. But again, so we have to work with the climate modelers as well and then think about <laughs> what can we learn from the past? I mean, that's one of the things that's, that's you know, Understanding our history is is fascinating, you know, just from from a knowledge, you know, um, perspective. But what can we use from that information, you know, to to predict 
what's happening in the future, what can we learn from the past, whether it's, you know, people obsessing about their genetic makeup and talking about purity of, of groups or, and, and what, you know, mm. I can digest lactose, so I'm, <laughs> you know, more evolved. I mean, we see the, these kinds of, of debates and the way that people use this information um, in the past, we need to be very, very careful yeah. about how we're using and interpreting and communicating that information today. You know? Very much so. Very, very, very much so, because people do use it. Absolutely. That's the reasons. Yep, yep. yep. And yep. The, the more that people know and understand about the, the way that we can really interpret things, I think, you know, the, the better chance we have to counter those kinds of um, arguments. Um, eugenics is one I can think of right Absolutely. now. Absolutely, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, I shouldn't laugh. Um, what about here in Aotearoa? Um, hmm. Like you said before, I mean, I guess it's maybe different here in Aotearoa, but when you're looking at the Pacific mm -hmm. and, and then the migration to Aotearoa, it's difficult because the climate. Um, so how do, you, uh, uh, how do you map that? How, how, do, we, how do we know where we've come from, where the where um, Maori have come from. Well, Maori know where they've come from. Yes, of course, of course. Of <laughs> you course. know, uh, with Whakapapa and yeah. you know, and oral tradition. But I mean, going back even further to Southeast mm. Asia, mm. Um, you know, there was ideas of maybe it wasn't Southeast Asia, maybe it was South America via Easter <laughs> Island. You know, there's been all this talk about sure, things for years. Sure. And and DNA can really provide, and not just DNA of humans, but DNA of of things that people carry with them is another way that we can track the movement of people. And most, you know, a lot of my research, um, my whole PhD was based on studying the animals um, that people carried with them in their waka as yeah, they the came to Aotearoa, the, the kuri and the yeah, kiore, the, the rat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and so, and and the chicken was another animal that was carried by Polynesians. Uh, didn't come down here. Lots of people say, well, why didn't they bring the chicken? Well, they've got all these. Moa running around, yeah. you know. <laughs> 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 anyway, but but Polynesians, we have evidence um, that Polynesians took chickens to South America, so there was contact. But it was Polynesians, the greatest voyagers, yes. who who made that contact and then brought back the kumara, um, and they brought that back, you know, in time for it to be brought down here to Aotearoa. So the sweet potato, the kumara, yep. does originate from South America. Absolutely. Wow, yep. I yep. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So. Um, so we can use the DNA to track that movement, um, and we can take it back. You know, we, we are working with iwi. Um, we're always working with, with um, the, the kaitiaki of, of any samples that we, we work with. Um, and so we can get DNA from some of the earliest, uh, the, the koiwi tangata, the, the ancient remains of the people who arrived here. And we can now start to compare that to other um, other populations in the Pacific, and then we can start to reconstruct those those um, pathways that people moved. But um, I mean, we can do that with ling linguistic evidence as well, and mm -hmm. and and so the languages that we speak in the Pacific, uh, the Austronesian languages, have been traced back to Taiwan. Does that mean that that's where you know the ancestors of Polynesians came from? Well, you know. We're speaking English right now. Are yeah, all of our ancestors, right. you know, that's from right. England? You know? Yeah. So um, we have to we have to put all of this information together. So we can look at at the various um, types of DNA uh, to track that movement. And I think the main thing that that we're starting to find now is that it's not a simple, you know, A to B to C. Uh, migration that that there are multiple pathways that people can move. People can move back and forth. Um, they, you know, so it's not always a one-way direction. And so, um, 
you know, that we still have a lot to learn about about reconstructing those pathways. We're working on, on more and more Pacific samples with ancient samples. We're starting to see in some locations that we have a similar uh, evidence of a similar form of replacement mm-hmm. um, that, that we were seeing in it with the European yeah. data in, in the Neolithic. Um, and, and uh, you know, as that information builds, um, the amount of information we have, we can start to really um, better understand those, those processes. But that requires collaboration with with traditional knowledge with a full range of, of anthropologists and archaeologists and, and climate you know yeah. modelers yeah. and all of those things to, to really understand um, the processes. Yeah, and the science is still young. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you're just beginning. Exactly. And it's amazing. Yeah. And, and I guess yeah. that, that, that really drives... In my lifetime, yeah. you know, we're doing things that I just never... You know, in, my, in my academic lifetime, the, yeah. the science has changed so much that my entire PhD research, you know, that the lab <laughs> analysis of it could now be done in a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With amazing. much better information. <laughs> Um, that's that's incredible, um, and I guess uh, that's the joys of it, and keeps you excited, and keeps the the fires burning. Absolutely. Anyway, but I and I, I guess um, one of the big things that I'm taking out of this chat is the collaboration is so important. Absolutely, and that's you know as I say across yeah. across academia, but I think so importantly, um, you know, with 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 indigenous knowledge, indigenous communities, and with public generally. Yeah. Know. Yeah, well, I, um, ancestral stories um, can tell can tell you a lot. Absolutely, and, and you will learn a lot yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the science benefits hugely from those conversations mm. and that engagement. Of course, of course. Uh, all right, well, we've run out of time. <laughs> I told you, time flies. That was. Uh, it's been what twenty eight minutes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so the talk is on Sunday. Um, tell us exactly, give us a, just a quick lowdown on exactly what you will be talking about. Um, I will be talking about, you know, about the ancient DNA technology, about some of the new discoveries. There have been some really interesting discoveries in the Pacific um, that are causing us to scratch our heads and, and, uh, and interpret. There's some examples of, I think, evidence where there's been some real uh, misinformation um, as a result of people not having those conversations. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. So, uh, Toitu Otago Settlers Museum on Sunday the twenty-first, this Sunday from two p.m. through to three o'clock. Um, thank you so much for coming in this morning. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. All right. This was a Radio One ninety one FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.